Welcome to issue 43 of Critical Encounters, a podcast about Marvel Champions, a living card game by Fantasy Flight Games. Here we take a good look at that most critical piece of the game, the encounter sets. We'll discuss those poorly understood characters, unfairly labeled villains, and their various plans to shape humanity and benefit the planet, as well as those so-called heroes intent on thwarting them. I'm one of your hosts, Molly, and joining me is Daniel. Hello, good evening. Steve. How you doing, Molly? And Mike. Hey, Molly, good to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. So, longtime listeners will know that that is not the usual voice you hear at the front of these episodes, and that means it's time for another interrogation room in which we take someone from behind the scenes and throw them in the hot seat and ask them really fun <laughs> and ridiculous questions. <laughs> And generally have a blast. So, joining us tonight is Molly Glover, who I understand is the producer of Marvel Champions, the card game. That's correct. So let's, uh, yeah, let's just start off. Uh, why don't you tell us what your role is at FFG and Marvel Champions and what it is you do? Because we're just, sure. we don't know what a producer does. No, no one does. If that's the, <laughs> you're not <laughs> Um, so, uh, producer is kind of this word that we came up with at Fantasy Flight that means it's a little bit project manager, a little bit editor, uh, mostly somebody whose job it is, is to know all the things, uh, when it comes to any given project. So I don't just produce Marvel Champions. I'm also the, uh, line producer on, uh, the Arkham card game, Arkham Horror card game. I'm, uh, I was on Star Wars Destiny. Uh, I've done a bunch of other games. I mean, honestly, I probably, we probably put out, I don't know, 10 to 12 games a year I get, I put through the door. So it's, it's, I've got a lot of, of, uh, games under my belt now. I actually started in the sales department and I was there for four years and then I, I didn't, I didn't, it wasn't, I wasn't suited to that. So I moved over to being a producer and really found my calling. I absolutely love it. So most of my time is spent, uh, putting together quotes to send to the factory to find out what we can afford and what, what everything's going to cost. Uh, I'm also in charge of things like getting editors, proofreaders, uh, interfacing with all the different departments, keeping everything on schedule and, you know, doing some play testing here and there and largely just kind of being the last person who sees everything. Uh, I also do all of the interfacing with licensing and with our licensors. So when it comes to Marvel, I'm the person talking to our licensing contact, who is Brian Eng, uh, and then also working with our licensing manager, Sherry, and the coordinators to make sure, because we have to get everything approved every step of the way uh, to make sure that Marvel is, you know, that they like what we're doing and that we can do what we're doing. So there's a lot of moving parts and it's my job to make sure they all stay greased. <laughs> wow, that is wow. that is fascinating. Okay, so <laughs> you said you, you worked on a lot of different games. Does one game take your full attention for a while? Uh, no, actually, not, not me. Uh, my job is more, like, right. for example, right now uh, I have uh, three big projects that are ending. They're going to what we call the studio table, which is the, uh, we have a studio approval committee made up of somebody from every department. And when a game is done, the first thing that happens is it goes through that studio and approval committee. They approve whether or not it can go on. So right now I've got three projects going to that table on Friday. I had one that went last Friday and then I will have another one that goes the Friday after that. So that's unusual, but, but I am always working on at least, at least six big projects at once. Wow. 
like for Marvel right now, just to give you an example, uh, right now we have, so we just put one wave to bed. And so we just got finished looking through proofs from the factory for that. Uh, we are in end, end dev with another wave. And then we are in beginning dev with another wave. Uh, and each wave is, uh, you know, a bunch of different products in there that we all kind of do mm -hmm. together. Right. So if something were to go wrong, are you the first person people contact? Like, you know everything. Can you fix this? Yes, okay. absolutely. That's, and that's by design. Uh, the goal is that even managers, I'm in this weird place where managers will ask me if something is okay sometimes uh, because they, they actually are, are less involved with the schedule on a granular level. And so because they're not able to attend every single meeting, they don't know every single thing that's going on. So I'm sort of this, you know, touch point for the project. So yeah, I, I am absolutely the person, I'm the fixer. <laughs> All right. I would guess they uh, they blame you too if something goes wrong. You're the, you're uh, you the know, first scapegoat. I, I wouldn't say <laughs> because there's definitely you know when something goes wrong, we try to track down what happened. But I wouldn't say that there's a lot of blame that gets thrown around. Uh, I blame my site. I hate making mistakes, man. Oh boy, <laughs> I hate it. So I I uh, am the first to admit when I messed something up. But. Uh, yeah, we are supposed to be the, I mean, we're the last stop, right? And so the other uh, board and card game producer, Jason and I both, we both really fully believe in that buck stops here. Like we should have caught it. It's on us. We should know. So it, it is definitely a lot of responsibility in that sense, but I never feel uh, scape, like I'm a scapegoat or, or like people are going to punish me for making a mistake because we're, we're humans. We make mistakes. You're your own worst critic. Yes, very much. <laughs> I'm sorry, I have a cat, and he is uh, a, a bit of a, a lot right now. So you might hear him wandering around in the background. Every every supervillain needs a cat to pet. It's true. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I my lap and I stroke him while I think up evil things. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious um, how you got into the gaming industry. If you're a gamer yourself, you know, is this is this a kind of a natural progression for you from hobby to work or uh, how'd you end up at FFG? Yeah, uh, so I was actually working at a game store called Marbles the Brain Store, which is all educational games. And they have this like four categorized system for when a game can be considered educational and how. And uh, while I was working there, I was also obviously, I I'm a huge nerd. Uh, I cosplay, I go to conventions, I board, I, mean, I play games, card games. I was into magic and stuff at the time. Um, and so when my friend who worked at FFG said they had a job opening in the sales department, I was thinking it's basically what I'm doing here at this game store, so why not? And I had a few other friends who worked there. So it was a really natural, you know, I honestly, I did not think I was gonna get the job. I was shocked and very excited. Uh, so it, it was really thrilling to get into the industry side of things that, where I had just been a consumer and, and a fairly casual one at that. Uh, I played a lot of big crunchy games, but it wasn't really like, I wouldn't have called it my hobby. Um, I probably owned maybe six or seven board games and that is definitely not the case now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, I, I would say, I guess, uh, uh, very much my hobby was being a huge nerd and the gaming was something I was into, but now it's obviously, I mean, it's, it's what I do all day, every day. Sounds good. Sounds good. And it's nice that you get a chance to play test. And is that something that, that every employee at FFG does for the most part? Yeah, we're really, we really, so when we were all still able to be in the office together, we were doing this mm -hmm. thing called Playtest Fridays. 
Uh, and so what we would do is once a month, it would be Playtest Friday, and they would get every anybody. Everybody was allowed to sign up for a game uh, to playtest. And it was supposed to be like you got the time off work. It wasn't like, you know, you know, because you were still working. It wasn't like, oh, if you'd have a project that's due, you absolutely can't play test. I mean, you got to, you know, be an adult about it. So sometimes you're going to have to not <laughs> really make sure because it's really important that it's not just the, the devs that are testing games, but it's also the people who do the art and the graphic design, uh, the people who are in charge of sculpting the minis, like everyone's got a different angle on it. And it really helps to test a game with everybody on the team and everybody in the office. So yeah, a lot of the games I've worked on had, you know, we did, we play tested with, you know, everybody who worked on the game got to play at least once. So they really understood what they were doing. Mm -hmm. It's pretty great. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah, yeah, we haven't been able to do it as much. It's It's been a rough year, but other than yeah. that, well, I'm looking forward to yeah. getting that back. My job does not have Playtest Friday, sadly. So that sounds fantastic. Yeah, Absolutely. it's definitely one of the perks. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a, one of the IPs that you like more than the others to work on? Oh gosh, to work on. Well, I mean, I, I I personally I really love working on Marvel. So I was when we first got the license. I, I've actually been the producer on Marvel Champions since day one. Uh, when we got the license and they told us that we were going to do this card game, uh, everyone knew that I was a huge Marvel dork and like <laughs> read all the comics, like really into it. Uh, and so they were really excited to have me on uh, because between you know I I know a lot. Compared to, to to Caleb, I know nothing, but you know it's it's uh it's, it was really great because I get to actually work in this IP that I have you know I have always said you know make my Marvel <laughs> like like for real I love it I, I, it's my favorite of all of the comic you know publishers the big ones obviously but so it's really it was really cool to be able to be on that and uh, I really appreciated getting that chance. Other than that, like I, for our own IPs, I really love the Arkham stuff. I got to produce a couple, or I got to produce uh, Path of the Serpent for Mansions of Madness. And also I was the producer on the Elder Sign uh, expansions for a while. And yeah, I, I love working in the Arkham horror IP. It's just super fun. And it, there's just, it's fun to like fact check things. You wouldn't think of you, like you read a little flavor and you're like, did they say teenager in 1923? <laughs> like, oh, oh, better yeah. go look that up. Like little things you don't think about. And so, you know, you really have to get into that kind of granular aspect of, of working in a, in a um, period piece, which is really great. Did they say teenager in 1923? I think it, it, they, they said teen um, um, more often than teenager, but like, yeah, it, they did. It started in like the early 1900s. People usually had a hyphen. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's sort of dedication to theme and accuracy i think is what makes some of the ffg games some of the best out there i concur i think honestly like that is i think our biggest uh strength you know in the industry is that like we we pay so much attention to the theme and the art and all the little bits of things that i think a lot of people don't i don't want to say take for granted but maybe they haven't really thought about how much work goes into that and we definitely put in the work well from the player standpoint we see the work yeah. And oh, that's you. definitely why we keep coming back. It's a good product. It's visually appealing. It plays well. Everything about it just comes together. And you, you can see it when you see subpar games right after you play one of your games. And you see where the other companies might not be yeah. up to par. And it really stands out. 
Yeah, where they and just I, drop like a skin on something and it, they're, they're not yeah. really paying attention to yeah. it, really. Yeah. Or even like, honestly, like I've, I've opened a box and just been like, ah, there's just misspellings all in this rule book, you know, just because someone didn't yep. take the time to quick, just to, you know, just, you know, a lot of people don't think they need a proofreader. And I, there's one thing I want people to walk away from this podcast knowing it's you need a proofreader. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> Anyone who's ever read my typing would, would, would know I agree with that. So. So you have a history with Marvel then? Yeah, actually, uh, my husband and I both are really big comic dorks. I got uh, more into it when I started dating him. But when I was a teenager, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, as a girl, uh, I got some pretty rough experiences in comic shops in the 90s. I'm 42, so I was a teenager in the 90s. And like, it wasn't a very hospitable place for uh, a girl in there. And so I got, you know, I, I had some bad experiences where I would go in and be buying comics and someone would ask me if I was buying them for my boyfriend. And that's just disheartening because you're, you're trying to get yourself some milk and cheese and some X-Men and stuff. And then next thing you know, you're doing like <laughs> question is your whole existence. And it's just, yeah, but I, I love comics. Um, Sandman was probably, I know that's a DC imprint, but that was probably the thing that really got me into seeing comics as being such an incredible storytelling medium. And then uh, X-Men was my entry point into Marvel. And then I started reading Avengers. I actually started with Avengers Disassembled, which is a fantastic book, if you haven't read that. And that was my first entry point into really reading Marvel comics, as opposed, um, like, like the, the capes and stuff, as opposed to the, the mutants, instead of um, you know starting in a more traditional place. So that really, it was really great to have that kind of deconstructed nature to what the idea of the Avengers is and then come at it from a different angle. So I was reading um, current like floppy books. I was reading when uh, uh, Secret Invasion was releasing and that was, that just blew me away. And all of those, the storylines about this, the hidden scrolls and everything and Spider-Woman's whole journey, just really, I just loved it. So from there it was Alias and all the, you know, I just fell down, I read all of the runaways uh, got into the Emma Frost. They did like some digest size things that are technically YA, but it's really good Emma Frost's uh, backstory. Really fun stuff there. Yeah, I, I, I love Marvel. <laughs> I dressed as Mockingbird for a convention once. It was really cool. Oh. <laughs> so, you know, one of the things you talked about with, you know, your, you know, the encounters you had in the comic shops in the 90s and, you know, we, the hobby industry has come some way I, I imagine over the years, but one of the yeah. things that I've always appreciated about FFG is a real focused attention on inclusivity, diversity of experience and characters in the games and stuff like that. You know, like Arkham has a widely diverse cast in a milieu mm -hmm. that really didn't. Mm -hmm. um, so yep. I like, and, and so do you have a part in that as, as a producer and a, and a, a manager, project manager of these games of like, of sort of, pitching certain characters or or like having some like input in the tone of a game or what it looks like or who it could appeal to because i think that's so important and ffg does such a good job of it yes absolutely uh, so first of all i hard agree with you that ffg has worked really hard I, I have always felt super included and and very welcome at ffg uh mm -hmm. i was the first woman in sales uh and then i was uh 
I mean, I was the first woman producer when it was really like a, a role that that had it is what it is now. Um, and so it was really great. Uh, I really I, I, I have especially with Arkham, I, I have definitely the devs are also really pushing like everyone is really trying to push the envelope and be like, we want to we want people to see themselves in our games. We want people to, to, to play a game and be like, I want to be that character because I feel like that character and I, you know, we have something in common, whatever yeah. small or large that could be. And, and the more people that you get to get that kick at, like just oh, it's such a good feeling, right? Mm -hmm. Is, uh, is so good because that we're just, we're broadening our customer base, but we're also broadening our players horizons because they're going to see different people across the table from themselves. And that is so important to me. So yeah, we absolutely, when we're doing art briefs, um, we'll, we'll try to, you know, be like, okay, everyone's expecting, you know, everyone's expecting this from Spider-Man, right? What if we, what if we, you know, went a different direction, right? And so it's really, it's, that's just not the greatest example, I'm sure, but, you know, like, or just things like writing, I got to write a lot of She-Hulk's flavor text for the core set, um, which was really fun. Uh, and because Caleb was like, you know, I, I think that a lot of this might come from a better place if it's actually, you know, he's, he's like, yeah, it's like, I'm struggling, you know, a little bit with writing some of her stuff. And I was like, I, I got this. I am a marathon. <laughs> I will write She-Hulk all day long. My parents are both lawyers. Like, please let me get into this. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. It's a really good example because if you're not a fan of the comics, she-Hulk looks like a token character if you've yes. only seen the movies, but yet, I mean, the character is so rich in the comics, and it's not even a token fill-in. The game actually, she plays well. She's fun to play. They're not just yeah. in there. Um, well, and what's great about her is that, like, what's what she started out as a fourth wall breaking token joke, right? Like that it was all like, oh, it's Hulk with with you know, breasts and yeah. like, oh, she's all sexy and her shirt's all torn because she grew and like, and she would even address the viewer and be like, what is this that I'm wearing? This is horrible. Like, is this what you people want? And and they really grew her into such a cool character. Yeah, I was really happy that when we were putting together the corset, it would have been so easy for it to have just been five dudes. Like that would have been so, that yeah. would have been, that, would, that was the simplest path. And instead they really wanted to make sure that we demonstrated, not just talked a big game about inclusivity, but really like demonstrated how important it is to us. And, and I, I love it. I just love it. So the one failing FG has with in inclusivity in Marvel is we do not have a female villain yet to play against. That's right. Where, oh, where's, right. where's a Viper? Yeah, like yeah, we that's what we're looking for. So yeah, no, I'll uh, I'll definitely I will I will definitely uh, just <laughs> make that happen. <laughs> All right, we got a couple minions, but no true villains. So. Yeah, yeah, I, I, there's a lot of stuff coming that I am very excited for everyone to see, and I think that uh, it's so it's it's weird because I'm you know we work so far ahead that that uh, it's 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 easy to remember that what I have to remind myself all the time, like before the show even, I had to go on the site and be like, what's out? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. What have we announced? Because <laughs> I don't want to slip up. <laughs> so right. yeah, no, it's, it's, I think there's some, I think there's some really, really fun and exciting villains on the way that everyone is, you guys are going to love it. <laughs> I guess they have announced one female villain, Nebula. Nebula, yeah. 
Yep. Oh yeah, that's okay. Uh, that's kind of where I was like, okay. I know we announced the box, but I don't know what we spoiled from inside. <laughs> we haven't seen her yet. We only know that she's one of the villains. Okay. Yeah. Good. So to tie into that, you're saying you're so far ahead and everything. I'm curious, um, how do you choose or who's choosing like what heroes are next, what villains are next, what story do you want to tell? Um, yeah. That sort uh, of thing. So when we first, so when we put together the core set, uh, once we had that sorted as to who was going to be in there, uh, Caleb and Michael Boggs and uh, I and uh, at, the time, at the time, Andrew Navarro, now Chris Gerber, but like sat down and looked at, talked about the, the whole line plan, like what they wanted, what this, so it was like, okay, so we're going to put out the core set and then these packs and then this will be the first expansion and then these packs and then we're going to go to this this wave, you know, we were so the next thing we decided was we're going to do Guardians and then we'll do that. And then we're going to go to the next thing, which is in a there is a reason that's I can say that there is a reason that it progresses the way it does. And then finding out where to put them has a, a big part of it is making sure that there's enough content to play what we want to do with the mechanics in those boxes. So if there's only, you know, like if there's only so many heroes out. You know, you don't want to start releasing too many scenarios where everyone's going to get bored because they're playing with the same heroes over and over. So really, it was important to us to get that, to get a wealth of heroes, playable heroes out before we started moving on to more, uh, like, uh, the, you know, content in terms of the encounters. So I think that by releasing the core set and then real quick, you know, bam, bam, we had Green Goblin and the Wrecking Crew. Um, and I can tell you, we worked on, so the core set, Green Goblin, The Wrecking Crew, Captain America, Ms. Marvel, and uh, Thor. All of that was getting worked on at basically the same time. That's a, okay. that's a lot. Yeah, it was a lot. It was a it was a uh, it was a hellish year, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> it was really hard. But we all, I mean, we all, everyone from the art to the graphic design. I mean, it was it was this monumental effort because we knew that if this was our first. You know, Marvel game, I, I'm not counting the one that they did a long time ago, right? If this was our first Marvel game, now we really had to show everybody that we had the chops and that we were serious about it. So it, it, it was all kind of happening at once. And so that was keeping track of all those different schedules was really crazy. And that's part of why we moved to this kind of wave system where now we design things in there's like a, a box and then the accompanying packs is kind of all what's getting designed together, which gives the developer a more holistic idea of what to look at and how to design what they want to do. But that first, that first push was nuts. And so it, it was, it was really, I think it's really cool that we have, you know, all of this happening at once, but at the same time, lately, it's been nice to be able to like think of things in more discrete terms. Okay. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure if I answered your question now. No, that was perfect. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> I talk a lot in case you haven't figured that out yet. Hey, this is fantastic. <laughs> All right. So what we love about, you know, this type of interview, Molly, is uh, the kind of peek behind the curtain that we we could get maybe. And so the licensing process um, mm -hmm. is is definitely fascinating to me, just how that how that works. Like, can you walk us through as much as you can, like, what what yeah. the licensing work entails from beginning of a project like this to the to like as you're yeah, doing it absolutely so the very first thing that happens in a project is the designer writes what we call a vision document which is basically a, a like a high level view of everything they want to do you know the mechanics can even be in there mostly they are the characters they want to have the nemeses 
the big villains, uh, the order in which they expect the scenarios to play if it's a campaign. Uh, and then uh, if it's a if it's a hero pack, we want to talk about you know what they're what aspect they'll be using and why, and uh, just a very like a good thing with the mechanics. So they write that, and then it gets approved by all of the executive people at FFG who have approval over that. Once that's approved on our end, I send that to Marvel, and our Marvel guy looks at it and just usually just sends back like a big thumbs up. You know, and right. so after the after the the concept and the vision get approved, then we start uh, working on the art, and that's the next thing that licensing has to approve. So we we write all the art briefs, which is just a description of what we want the art piece to look like that we give to our artists, and that's what they turn into the art. So those art briefs, our licensing manager will go over them just to see if there's any red flags. Then after that, the art gets made. The art, when it's final, gets sent to licensing again, and Marvel actually looks at the art and approves or, or gives feedback, asks for small changes to the art. Sometimes they'll ask questions like, why is this that way? When we do the comics uh, that you saw in the Rise of Red Skull expansion, mm -hmm. the, those yeah. comics that we did in the rule books, so those we actually start off by sending them a script and storyboards. And then we, from there, we send them sketches and then the final art so that they have a little bit more input into those because we are technically making Marvel comics, which is so cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just so cool. So I never um, thought of it that way. And absolutely you're right. Yeah. 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 So after that, so then we develop, make the game, design the game, play testing, all that's happening, not really doing any licensing stuff except the art is slowly trickling in. But then when the game is finished and it's gone through that studio approval process I've mentioned, then I send uh, final files to them, which is, uh, this is exactly how it's gonna be. This is what we're gonna print. This is everything is done. Nothing will change from this point out unless they ask it to mm -hmm. change. So that's when we might we might get some small corrections on spelling or other things. Um, for uh, the, the new game that's coming out, Mutant Insurrection, I'm also the producer on that. And so like, they had some like, you know, like the, the Mutant Boom Boom, there was a whole back and forth about whether or not her name was supposed to have a hyphen. So we had to like run that up the chain. Like there's little things like that. Right? <laughs> so uh, yeah. And then they approve final files and that's it. So it's really, it's not a very invasive process, but there are a lot of steps to remember. And if you think about what I said, when we were working on those, like whatever it was like 12 products at once, all of those steps for all of those products happening and they have to happen at a certain time and everything has to, you know, there are places where we can't move forward until we have Marvel's approval. Are, are there like mechanical issues or, nope, or like they don't really have they don't have any no they don't really have any say over mechanics okay they don't really they don't really have any and they wouldn't want to like they don't really they're not really into that they trust us mm -hmm. to make an amazing game they're mostly just there for IP concerns they want to make sure that we're representing the IP appropriately yeah so is their level of involvement typical for a company that's licensing their IP yeah yep uh, I would say so it's it's pretty especially it's very typical. So Star Wars is very much the same. Uh, Star Wars has, you know, just honestly, maybe even a few more steps depending on what we're working on. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, when we work with uh, Bethesda, I, I would pr I produce the Fallout games, and so working with Bethesda was was very similar. We had to, we have to get approval on the concept, approval on the art. If there's any sculpts, we need to get their approval on the sculpts, uh, and then approval on final files. And usually, if a game goes through beta testing, where we like print out a copy of it and then do a second round of testing, which doesn't always happen. Uh, we will send that to them as well so that they can see what it looks like printed out. Okay. Yeah. So with the, the Marvel licensing, you have movies and you have the comics. 
Yeah, our license is comics. To say, oh, you know, we're just running off of this comic run uh, or this version. Yeah, the few times where someone, where honestly, like, if, as long as we just, we, as we, if we can cite our sources, they're like, oh, sure. Most of the time, we are really pushing forward what we want to see, and they're all about it because, you know, Caleb is current on things. He knows what's going on. He's got a wealth of knowledge from, you know, old school stuff, you know, golden age stuff that he wants to, you know, be like, whatever happened to these guys? You know, bring those up. And sometimes our art references are so old that we're like, we're going to make these kind of look, you know, the way in our own style. And we get a lot of leeway to really, you know, refresh older characters. That's cool. Yeah, we had uh, Deborah Garcia on last yeah. month and she was talking about, you know, the versions of Thor's armor or the cape or the costumes or that sort of thing. So Yeah, cool. yeah. Coming up with how to make him be with his alter ego. How do we show... Thor Odinson versus, you know, Thor, the God of Thunder, who's the hero, right? How do you, you know, how do we indicate that through the artwork? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's all very interesting, the, the processes you guys have to go through to, to get us these cool games. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's a lot of work, but honestly, it is a, it is a burden that I like because I, I consider myself to be a steward of the Marvel IP in this way. And to me, that mm. is very important that they love what we're doing. I want, because if they love it, I know fans are gonna love it because that's the whole point is we're, we're creating something together in the Marvel universe, which is so cool that I just sometimes have to pinch myself. And so this this is a trust to me, a licensing relationship like this is a trust. And so we wanna make sure we don't let them down and they trust us to make sure the game is cool, right? So it's it, the trust goes both ways. For sure, for sure. That was great. Oh yeah, no, that, we had like a whole bunch yeah. of questions. We just answered them all. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we just dropped fifteen bucks on Ant Man or something, and don't really think like how that like right <laughs> it's work in years. Right. You want to hear something like... crazy? Okay, so here's something crazy about Ant Man. So when we decided <laughs> we were going to do the the folded card, oh yeah. yes, because I'm a producer. Part of my job is to in, to do R and D for components. So it was my job was to figure out what coding. We could, what's, what's the maximum coating we could have on that card so that it would hold up to the bending? Uh, because if you're going to play with them over and over, you're going to be changing his size, which means the card's going to get bent over and over, right? And so I sat at my desk uh, for <laughs> about two hours one day, opening and closing a sample of the card. <laughs> Just opening and closing it, opening and closing it really fast, as much as I could, opening and closing it for, for two hours. I probably opened and closed it about a thousand times just to make sure that it was... And then just to see if it got a white crease down the middle, so if the art or any of the, the graphics got creased. And they didn't. So that's when we knew we'd found the right level of coding, the right ink saturation, and the right material for the card that it would work out. Were you at all concerned that uh, people would be really upset that they couldn't sleeve it? No, but they do make sleeves that size. I think I've seen people playing Transformers with them in that size. So yeah, they do exist. You just have to you just have to buy a pack, and then you're only going to need to use the one. And I know that's a big pain in the buns. You you guys <laughs> gave I think the Marvel community like heart attacks. The the so many people. How, I can't play with this. How do I sleeve this card? What do I do <laughs> with this? I've seen people cut it in half. Because what? they don't oh, want to, no. yeah, they don't want to fold. Yeah, they, yep, they don't want to fold it. They don't want to do this, and people. Oh. Well, like, that's their you, right. You, they bought it. They can do whatever they want to it. Yep, I've seen people print off ones mm -hmm. like they they printed one off and made a big version of it, and then a little tiny version, and sure, yeah, sure. I, goodness, it's crazy. The Facebook and the Discord. Yeah, you're single-handedly responsible for high-level nerd drama. 
Yes. So, oh my I God. I, I am aware. I, I have been the subject of multiple comment threads. <laughs> well, I, you know, I'm afraid to play Ant-Man a thousand and one times, just in case that is. Uh, so I tell you, I, I went on Etsy and I bought that stupid thing where it's like, it's a hard case and I'm, it stays unfolded and there's a slider yeah. on one side. The so slider, you, can cover, yeah. you can cover oh, up the alter yeah. ego or you can cover up the tiny side or you just flip it to the big. Yeah, that, that works great. Ready to go yep. for Wasp when she comes out. As somebody who was a Destiny tournament player, let me just say, like, I don't really care if I need one little extra thing when I ha used to have to carry around a tackle box full of dice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> this is way easier. Well, that's the nice thing about this game being cooperative, too. There's no tournament rules. You don't have to mm -hmm. sleeve your stuff. You don't. You can use exactly. whatever tokens you want. Yeah. That is a big part of what we talked about when we were, you know, it was a lot of times it's like, well, this isn't a tournament game, so honestly – People can do whatever they want, you know, with, with theirs. We're going to make it as cool. We, we're going to make it in the way that we think is the coolest. And that also is going to work for the factory putting it together, right? It's right. a lot easier for the factory to have a big size card that folds down to, to LCG card size and then put that in the pack with everything else than it is for them to deal with a mini card or a tarot card. And now we have packaging that isn't the same size. And it, you know, it's just really want to make it streamlined. That is, that is our goal. We want everything to look so cool together on a shelf on, in the store. Right. Yeah. Well, I, for one, am grateful for a fun and innovative new type of thing. And I've never understood anyone who was a hater about that kind of thing. So yeah. Uh, games are meant to be loved and enjoyed. That's right. Yep. I am the I am the worst person. Like whenever people are like, but the people who are going to sleeve their games, and it's like, oh, I don't sleeve my games. I'm so bad. I fold down book pages. I I break spines. I get books dirty. I I love my stuff. So I I am a. I understand that there is a world where people need to protect everything in that way and more power to them, but we'll just have to try to figure it out together. Yeah. <laughs> well said, Molly. Well said. <laughs> I'm going to roll into this one. I think maybe some people, they love their, their FFG games uh, because of all the great stuff we've already said, but sometimes it's hard to get our hands on the FFG games. Mm. So maybe you live in Canada. Yeah. Yeah, maybe you live in Canada and they don't ship anything to Canada. Yeah. Poor Mike doesn't get anything up there. So how I'm does so sorry. We we have to smuggle him games. Yeah, we have a a, a mule that goes back and forth. Anyways, uh, it's a moose. Like, are you involved in deciding a moose? We I feed it maple know. syrup as a reward. Could have been a beaver too. I know you guys are big on them too. But how does FFG go about deciding? Like, is are you involved in how many of these to print? That that sort of thing. Yeah, no, I I am not I am not involved in that. I'm curious a little bit about uh, reprints. So some of the Marvel sets come with a reprint, right? You'll get the same card that we got in the core yeah. set a few times here or there, and I, I understand why we would get you know um, another energy or strength or genius card because mm -hmm. each each one of these packs is uh, you know it's playable out of the box, which is really cool. Exactly. We've also noticed that sometimes. Some of the reprints are worded differently or missing a tray or have a tray. No, no, they're not. Oh, oh okay. okay. That's never happened. No, that's a mistake. Honestly, that's always a mistake. Yeah. So um, we, one of the things that's hard is when you, when, so you have to understand, like I said, we were working on all those games at the beginning at once. And then we didn't see, we didn't get copies of Marvel champions, like even bulk samples. We weren't seeing that for like, 
nine more months, right? After we finished wow. it. So that's nine months of developing and being like, I'm going to put this card in. And if you aren't copying it over directly from another file, or maybe you, you do, but then somewhere along the line, you think, oh, I should reword that. Honestly, like we try really hard for it not to happen. And anytime we notice it, it, it gets a reprint change. So the next printings of those will be fixed. Our international partners can catch some of those things luckily for us and we're able to fix them ahead of time before anything gets printed uh, while they're doing the translation work. But yeah, it's that is just human fallibility. That is nothing intentional. That is 100%. That is just that. That's that buck stops here thing. That's on me, boys. That's on me. <laughs> like, okay. I, gotta, I, I need a binder of every card so I can just be like checking things against other things. But that was something that I was putting together uh, early March that sort of didn't get put together because <laughs> we all moved to a work from home model. So I actually do have a copy of everything that's been released so far. So I'm thinking I might just bust apart all my, but then I can't play. You know, if I've got everything in a binder to look at, I can't exactly play with it. No, you don't want to do that. You want to be able to play with it. So. Yeah, I think we can deal with the, the occasional, you know, yeah. or whatever, as long as you get to play the game, Molly. Yeah, just, just let me know if you notice one and I'll let you know if it's been fixed yet. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it came up because, like, Hail Hydra is just like sort of worded on each of the three versions. It's still the same effect and everything, but it's just slightly different. So I, did, yeah. I was curious, like, you know, there's a database of every card somewhere that you guys just, oh, we're reprinting that, just pull it down instead of having to remake the card or something like that. But it doesn't sound like. Now we have a, uh, we actually have an InDesign script that runs and kind of builds cards in that way. But most of the time, this is all being done by hand. You know, by hand, digitally, obviously, we're not, you know, yeah. painting the cards, but it is, uh, it is definitely something that takes a lot of, of human attention and human work. And whenever there's, you know, that level of human attention being needed in something, it's things are going to fall through the cracks. So unfortunately, that is, that is the, that is always the errors that, that slip through are always like, the bane of my existence. But again, stuff goes through a tech editor, a proofreader. I look at it. Both designers look at it. The studio approval committee looks at it. The production people look at it and then, and then partners. And, and if something still gets through all that, it's kind of insane that it can happen, but it super does. I find those types of things charming. So. Yay! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, and then you release it to you release it to thousands of gamers who, you know, they don't want to fold their card. They're scrutinizing every little last thing, oh, so they course. they find it in a second, right? They, they've been stuck at home for months. They gotta have something. Like, to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, no, no. Our people are not a very forgiving people, we nerds. Like we're not that's not usually really our deal to be like forgiving small mistakes. Right. His <laughs> eyes are supposed to be blue, not brown. Like, what is wrong with you? Right. Um, we made yeah. a rib twice in a row. It produced two clearly distinct notes. So, so to go build off of that, uh, we have the rules reference guide in the FAQ that kind of will answer those rules questions yeah. or address yeah. those rules. How, how often could we expect new rules reference or do you have a hand in making the RG and that sort of stuff or? No, that's all. So that's all uh, Caleb and Boggs. So when people send in rules questions, 
they get they get emailed to to Caleb and Boggs, and so then they address the rules questions, and they have a whole thing they're compiling constantly of the questions that get asked the most, or even if someone just asks one person asks a question, but it's like ah shoot, we really need to clarify that, um, and then it'll go into those documents that we can keep living online because you know when something gets printed, it it it's kind of a dead document. It's it is what it is when we could send it to the printer, which we have a deadline for in order to get it printed, shipped back here and then shipped out to all of you in time right right so as a result you know the game is always alive people are always still playing it finding things and you know experiencing corner cases that we didn't find in playtesting. so all of that is always it's a constantly churning machine keeping alive an faq and keeping alive a, a, an online living rules reference is a, an undertaking that's immense and also remember that right now both caleb and boggs are currently working on two sets like two waves right. of products at the same time, right? So they're doing that. They're keeping up with all those deadlines. They also have lives, you know, and then and then <laughs> they're also trying to keep all this other stuff afloat. So they do it as often as they can, I know, but it, it is it is a there is no there is no intern, there is no person whose job it is just to to compile that stuff. It's it's just us. Yeah, it, it sounds like their producer needs to cut him some slack so they can, you know. She is such a tyrant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it does speak to like just how all of these games really are kind of labors of love. It seems, you know. Yes. Like, yeah. Um, honestly, from and from we we feel it on this side of the game as well. I'm so I glad. Very, I'm yeah. so glad. Yeah. If you guys could understand, I mean, so you pick a card, look at it, every single element, every font every stroke around the font, every texture, every color, the shade of the color, every single element on that card has been gone has gone through committee processes, has been, you know, like has gone through multiple revisions. The colors, you know, sometimes at the last minute, uh, at the very last minute, uh, Andrew Navarro decided he would he wanted to see a, a slightly different color scheme for Ms. Marvel because he felt that it wasn't it just wasn't quite hitting the notes he wanted it to. And so we we you know, we it's it's kind of we have this thing called the visual design committee, which every visual element. So art sculpts and all graphic design goes through that committee, which is uh, all of the artists and graphic designers. They go through and, and they make. They give each other feedback, they make notes, they slightly change things. You know, all of those icons were ones that Chris Beck drew, came up with. Uh, you know, all everything that everything that that was made in that game, somebody made. Like that's a piece of art, even something little. Yeah. Some of the, absolutely. You know, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Like even sometimes a font, like the cue won't look right. And so we have to go in and like manually adjust <laughs> the cue so that it looks better because the font we bought, the cue is weird. <laughs> it's kind of, it's, it really is. Labor of love is exactly what it is from top is. to bottom. Well, along those lines, uh, we have noticed an unfair bias against the villains. Oh, yes. That the heroes have their nice little icon at the bottom right. of their cards, but the villains don't. I know. What gives? Yeah, well, this, is, this is Mustafa's chief gripe of the game, I think. Honestly, yeah. it is because we don't want to encourage a life of crime. I mean, that's the secret, okay. right? We can't, okay. we can't have, you know, you got, the, you got the head down in the corner. And this is a very serious answer. You got the head <laughs> down in the corner. And, it, you know, you see that and you're like, I want to be like, you know, her. I want to be like him. But you see the villain. Oh, now what? Now you're robbing banks and you're putting on a big helmet and you've got a crew? No, we can't have that. It's just not, we can't have that in our consciences. So we made a, we made the effort to really like 
just push the narrative that the heroes are the good guys, but secretly we all know. We all know <laughs> who the true, the, the true narrative flair comes from. Awesome. Awesome. So that was right. an intentional decision. Oh yes, hundred percent intentional. Oh. You know, it, it was an intentional decision, but I think the main reason was because they wanted you to be able to easily see which cards were from a hero set, so that for deck building yeah. purposes, you could just pull out all of the Ms. Marvel cards, pull out all of the Hawkeye cards. You know, from even whether whether you bought it in a pack or in the box. The main right. reason was uh, in the core set we had the two prepackaged heroes that came uh, wrapped separately. So that you could yeah. play right out of the box, which is a really important thing to us. We wanted that opening because a lot of times you open a game like that's a that's a deck builder or a card game, and it's a little overwhelming. And so we didn't want that experience. We wanted people to be like, "This one's mine. This one's yours. Here's the villain. Let's go." So as a result, <laughs> right? So because of that, I think they wanted to make sure that it was always really easy for you to know which cards were were in her set that were like her cards, right, or his set. So it just yeah. Also, it adds a little bit of comic flair. Yeah, that it does. Uh, okay, well, I guess any more questions about that before we move on to the villainous questions? No, I, no I'm, I, I'm just so overwhelmed with learning. I'm it's learning it's awesome. This is I great. This. Like, our jobs, we know nothing about this world. So this is <laughs> absolutely fantastic. So we have, we have some questions that we ask all of our, of our guests, Molly. And, um, it says victims in the document. All of our, mm. Oh, it does. All of our victims. Um, who is your favorite villain? Well, we would call oh. it a hero, but the game calls it a villain. So we'll go with the game terminology. Yeah, yeah. Fav my absolute favorite villain. So I am a, I'm a, I'm a huge Stephen King nerd. I'm a Dark Tower junkie, and I think oh, I, gotta, and and I think I got to go with uh, Randall Flag, specifically from The Stand, who also is the Man in Black in the dark tower, but uh, uh, Randall flag specifically the way he is in the stand, that aspect of him, I really think is one of my favorite villains because he's charming, uh, like all sociopaths, right? But also he, he, he lets people think that he doesn't have powers <laughs> until they try to cross him. And then, and then he's got magic powers all of a sudden and you did not plan for that. So it's, it's, I really, Put on the spot. I think that's that's who I'll go with, and I'm sure I'm going to think about this all night and think of all the other things I wish I'd said. <laughs> no, but that's a great one. Do you remember? Do you remember like the mini series they made of it with Rob Lowe? Yes. Right? yes. And, <laughs> and and the actor that they got to play Randall Flag with that like weird kind of <laughs> '80s mullet. Oh, it was so uh, bad. And, and I'm like, that's who Randall Flag is in your mind? I, I just. Right? Uh, you know, there's just more evidence of like Stephen King is so bad at uh, his at, at like letting people just do whatever because he just thinks everything's cool. So yeah. the, the new one, <laughs> the, new, the new stand that's coming out, uh, Alexander Skarsgård is playing Randall Flag. No, that makes more sense, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'd move to Vegas for him. That that family knows evil. So yeah, exactly. He looks yeah. evil. He could convince you. Of yeah. Me. Yeah, so I, it's just funny you said Randall Flag. Wow, that's awesome. Way to go, like completely out of the Marvel box. Here. Right that off was, the Marvel. Yep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not even sure if our of our question like was meant to anticipate a Marvel answer, like from the game or just from the universe. But Randall Flag. Oh. <laughs> I told you, I'm a really big nerd. <laughs> no, you need to make you need to make somehow like a modular set that goes into the game for it. Oh man, that'd be so cool. Mm. <laughs> All right. Well, I, 
I'm I'm bamboozled by that response. I can't ask the next question. <laughs> okay. So, all right. All right. Uh, so, uh, which hero will say from the Marvel universe? Which hero? <laughs> if you want to say outside the Marvel universe too, that's yeah. that's awesome. Uh, which one would you be most excited to hear is getting beaten up? Oh, Matt Murdock. <laughs> <laughs> Specifically, Matt not Daredevil. <laughs> Matt Murdock. I was beating up Daredevil. <laughs> you barely missed a beat on that one. I just, um, I, think I, I think I've been, I've been reading, I've been reading some Daredevil lately, and just like having that. Just we were watching, we were watching the show again. My husband over Thanksgiving, and seriously, just like, yeah, like he's such a just the Catholic guilt is so boring sometimes. And like, he's so <laughs> Matt Murdock is who holds daredevil back for good or for bad. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. I, will say, I will say to answer your first question in the Marvel universe, my answer is Emma Frost. Like, like she's, she's my favorite villain who I don't think is always is necessarily a villain, but if we're going there, that, that's, that's what I would go with. Okay. All right. So then uh, that leaves this question to me. Um, which villain in the Marvel universe would you enjoy getting beaten up by? Oh, mm, getting beat. Am I getting physically attacked or am I just being like, like reduced to, to a, a whimpering pile of like, please don't hurt me. I would say you're, you're Marvel attacked. I'm Marvel attacked. You're attacked okay. as much as anyone is in the Marvel universe. Yeah. Okay. You're down in the dirt wrestling yeah. this person, maybe fighting them, doing, you know, whatever. Something you know, yeah, yeah. bang, boom. Yeah, just yeah. getting down, just getting down <laughs> in it. <laughs> um, and this is a villain, and it has to be a villain. Oh, I can think of lots of heroes I would wrestle, but uh, <laughs> I would, I would really, I would really love, I would really love to. I think that if anyone could just take me apart, it would be Magneto, and I don't mean like metal-wise. I just because I would be so in awe. But he would just be, he's, he's old. So part of me would be like, this is going to be an easy fight. But then he would just destroy me. But at the same time, like, I don't know if I want to hit a Holocaust survivor. Like, I feel like. <laughs> yep. So Good it's just like the internal turmoil of like, do I pull my punches on this 70 year old man? But he's not a man. He's almost superior. So like now do I hit him as hard as I can, which is not that hard. I would, it would be very good. Now a true hero would be conflicted by those types of moral quandaries. Exactly. Right. That's why Marvel's better than DC, man. We're getting the gray areas. It's right. Now, is Magneto Ian McKellen? Yes. So Sir Ian McKellen is Magneto, right? Oh, yes. Because yep. then you'd also be punching Gandalf. Oh, gosh. And you don't want to do that. No, no. And, and honestly, Ian McKellen himself is, you know, he's a knight. Like, what yeah, am I doing? Right. Like, I'm just punching Her Majesty's knights? <laughs> he's one of the most adorable people on the planet. He really is. He really oh. is. He's a, he's, a, he's an absolute star. Yeah, honestly, like I, gosh, and I'm already like regretting all my answers and wanting to change them. Like that's just that's the nature I think of of loving so much about a universe, right? Yeah, I was gonna say this. This turned into a, a game of trial by trolley here. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you go down. Yeah, you go down here. You're gonna kill. You're gonna kill Magneto. Oh wait, but he's a Holocaust survivor. Oh wait. <laughs> <laughs> Is he like a septuagenarian? <laughs> yeah. So many things to think about before you punch an old man. Yeah, it's definitely uh, the most thought of or morally worried about answer we've had, you know. Uh, so Yeah, so the day-to-day, the day-to-day grind of your job, which to me doesn't sound like a grind at all. But, um, but there's got to be an aspect of your job that you would say is sort of the most challenging or where you might encounter the most hurdles. And if you could just have some minions do it, 
um, that would be great. Evil minions. Evil okay. minions, of course. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Boy, if what, I was gonna, what would that be? I was going to have evil minions do anything. I think I would have them do the uh, the 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 collating. So we have this. It's this thing that InDesign does. If you've ever worked in InDesign, it's called packaging files, and it's this very laborious process where you tell InDesign to package the files, and it finds all the links that you use, which are all the images and anything that is an, an image or a graphic element, and it coalesces them into one folder. And then you have to put that folder where your other folder was, but then sometimes the links all break and you have to go back in by hand and relink them all. And you gotta make sure you're doing the right one. Otherwise the wrong picture ends up on the wrong card. Yeah, if evil minions could do that, that would be great. As long as they're, they're good at their jobs. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like the thing you'd want minions doing. Yes. <laughs> Okay, so our uh, next question, favorite MCU movie or mm -hmm. other Marvel movie? Ooh, favorite MCU movie. I I really, really love the, the first Guardians of the Galaxy. I think uh, the, first Guardians, the first Guardians of the Galaxy was the most I've ever laughed at a superhero movie. It was the most fun. I just, I had an absolute riot. I think that it had so much heart and there were good, huge special effects and great costumes and such a good soundtrack. Yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy for sure. Yeah, they really got their humor down pat for that one. Yeah, which was so important for Guardians. Yes, yep. yes. All right. Uh, is there a, a, a comic that uh, you're currently reading that you'd like to recommend or maybe one of your favorite comics over the years? Oh, yeah. Uh, I If people haven't read... Uh, Lumberjanes. I highly recommend Lumberjanes. It's super fun. It's going to be a show, uh, too. And gosh, what did I just read that I really, really loved? Oh, um, uh, Monstrous. Uh, Monstrous is amazing art, amazing world building. It is this incredible sci-fi fantasy comic that uh, it won. I, won. I think it won an Eisner, uh, several Eisners uh, this year. But yeah, it's it's fantastic. Really good. I am writing all this down. Yeah, if you haven't read Transmetropolitan, read Transmetropolitan because that's like the world we're living in now, but without all the cool human additives. So like just the politics. Yeah, <laughs> I've got that upstairs. It is a great series. Yeah, that's a great book. Yep. Uh, I really love uh, Rat Queens is another really good title. That's uh, like if a, a, a Dungeons and Dragons adventuring party kind of, you know, like like role play kind of uh, story that's super fun. Really, really, really mature. Do not let your 11-year-old and your 8-year-old read that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic. You know, so many, man. I, I, love, I love going. One of the things I really missed about this year was not getting to go to our local Comic-Cons here in Minneapolis. We have uh, SpringCon and FallCon that uh, we would always go to. I've got some creator friends, but also just getting to go see everybody and all the costumes and hang out. I, I just, I, I love comics. It's one of my, it's probably, I mean, I love reading uh, fiction. I love especially horror fiction, but I, I think that comics have such a unique way to tell stories that I, I just, I always want to support them. I, I love, I love them. I think that they are, when they're good, they're just so good. And when they're bad, they're still good. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking of the early Golden Age comics. I cannot right? get through them. Right? I cannot yeah. get through a series. <laughs> oh, boy. Like Mary Worth. <laughs> well, there's a blaster in the past. Thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> <Yeah>. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> In 
know me, just, you know, reading Dark Tower and Mary Worth, working on Marvel games, just yeah. living the dream. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's uh, let's finish off by switching gears a little bit because Fantasy Flight Games isn't your only endeavor. You also have a podcast. I do. You want to tell us about it? It's called Geeks Without God. It is uh, me, my husband, and our friend Tim. Uh, we are all three of us insult comedians. We are all three of us uh, huge geeks, and we are all three of us atheists. So the podcast explores topics of atheism, comedy, and geekdom, sometimes intersecting. Uh, and so it is. It is. It is rated R, <laughs> or whatever is worse than R. Uh, we, uh, we are foul mouthed by nature, but that is. We also have a lot to say that I think is interesting, and we've been doing it weekly since 2012. So it's it's been a uh, wow. It's, it's been really fun. We've never yeah. missed. You've never wow. missed a week. No, not when I was on muscle relaxants, not when like our cat died, not when oh, no. one of us was in a car accident. We we have every single week that show comes out. If there's one thing you can depend on, it's Tuesdays and Geeks of That God. Wow. So can you give can you give a kind of a rough a rough outline of the of the format of an episode? Yeah, uh, it's anywhere from about 30 minutes to an hour. We sometimes have a guest. We always have a topic. Uh, the topic is sometimes, for example, if it's a movie, we're going to spoil the movie. We're going to talk all about it, our favorite parts, mm -hmm. what we did and didn't like. Uh, if it's uh, talking about a current event, we're going to kind of give a rundown on what's happening, how we feel about it, why this affects us, how it might affect atheists specifically, because most of the, the reason people come to listen to us is because we are non-believers. So like recently we talked about, um, you know, we always have an episode every year about how to deal with your family at Christmas time when you're an atheist, especially if you're not out, and how you can, you know, navigate those waters. But now with COVID being another layer on it, we are recording about how to deal with that on top of things. Um, and so we talk, we just kind of talk. We don't really have a whole format as much. If we have a guest, we just talk with them, very informal. Uh, and then at a certain, once the conversation feels like it's kind of reached a good point, we ask every guest uh, five questions at the end of the show. And they are either our current five questions, which we ask everyone once, or if the guest, it's their second time, they get to ask us five questions. Or sometimes we will answer, if it's just the hosts, we'll answer five questions from a listener. Uh, back in the day, we used to let listeners write into their answers to our five questions, but then we ran out of those. So now people ask us questions. Yeah. Nice. Um, I got a couple follow-ups. to. Um, Please. So first, yeah, I've listened to a bunch of your episodes. You've got topics that range from current politics to video games to movies. I mean, we record every week, but I mean, it's it's easy for us to find content. We just look at whatever you guys just produced and we talk about that <laughs> for a while. Uh, given that you have such a broad range of topics to choose from how do you even choose and how to follow up with that how do you remain on brand yeah it's it's so we have a you know we have our group chat where we talk and we'll you know bring up ideas and if someone's like hey i actually thought you know you know amy amy coney barrett's getting you know uh put through to the supreme court do we want to talk about that you know or if it's uh, a new movie comes out you know be like hey like we might say to tim you know did you watch lovecraft country dude you got to watch lovecraft country and we want to record about it and then we'll say who do we know that would be a, the best guest for this um right. 
sometimes a, a friend or someone we know will say, hey, uh, I want to come on your show and talk about, like our, our friend Megan Culverhouse was raised atheist. And she's like, I think I have a unique experience. I want to talk about what it was like to be raised without religion, not someone who left religion, right? So it's really a very organic thing. We, I will not lie. There are Tuesdays where we are going to record that afternoon and we're like, we got to come up with something. What do you guys <laughs> about and so it is it sometimes we are we will we will be a little you know kind of like let's 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 find something but we always we always pull it off in the end and that's kind of where geeky boners came from which yeah is, i wondered uh, about that too <laughs> yep. yeah it's it's us so that is just us talking about what we're super into right now like what is the thing that while you're at work in the back of your mind your mind is going we should go play Animal Crossing, you know, like, or like, you know, you're trying to get through your day and you're like, oh man, two more days until the next episode comes out, you know, whatever it is that you're really excited about, that's what we want to talk about for those. So that's kind of a good catch-all. We try to do those every now and then, uh, especially if it's like, you know, because Tim and his wife, Pat, you know, they have pretty different interests to us. You know, they, they, you know, Nick and I are very, very similar. So we tend to, you know, watch all the same things, but not all the same things. Like he's into more anime than I am. I read a lot more than he does. So it, it kind of balances out with that way. So the second one I had uh, among the Western nations, so North America and Western Europe, I mean, the U.S. is arguably the most religious. Mm -hmm. And it's been said jokingly and sadly accurately that the u.s will elect a gay jewish black woman before they ever elect an atheist i agree so given that uh has your podcast impacted your professional life surprisingly no uh i am i am very out i mean i don't go around talking about being an atheist at work in the sense that i'm like you know if someone's like oh, we went, you know, what are you guys doing for Christmas? And I'm, I'm not like secular Christmas, everyone. Don't forget. Like, it's just, you know, because that's rude. But you know, more than <laughs> you know, I wouldn't want someone to be like, it's Jesus's birthday. You all remember the reason, you know, that it's not it's not appropriate at work. Um, I would say that <laughs> anything, it, it, we all the reason we all started the podcast was we were watching Bill Maher, uh, the Bill Maher movie, Religious. Uh, we were watching Religious, and and there was a part where he said that there are all these people who feel this way, but won't stand up and be counted and say, I'm an atheist, even though they are, they're afraid to say it. And until people are, stop being afraid to say it, then how are we ever going to be taken seriously for our interests and our desires and our needs? And the three of us, really, that was all three of us kind of had the same feeling of, okay, we got to start talking we got to say who we are and really giving other people the space to do the same and i think that's really important especially in america because there is persecution against atheists in the sense that in a lot of states we legally can't hold office in 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 a lot of states there's there is it, you have to be a believer it's in the it's in their weird you know bylaws it's it's super strange and they did a pew study I think it was in 2011 or 2012 that's that they asked people if they would rather leave their children with and they asked you know like a baptist a muslim one of the one of them was like a pedophile like a terrorist and like atheist ranked below all of it because people have such a like demonizing villainy about it and so it's really important i think just to be a person <laughs> who's like you know, as far, I mean, honestly, I'm I'm a rad person. I am loving and giving and warm and kind, and I work hard. And I also don't believe in any gods. So 
you know, I'm, I'm really just one down on most other people. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I just believe in one fewer God than most people. <laughs> it's really not that big a difference. You look at it that way. I mean, yeah. Are they, yeah. Yeah. And it, I mean, and really these last four years, I mean, what, what more proof do you need? That exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's Less, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, in America, money goes to the loud. So you have to speak up or there won't yeah. be any money going your way for your interests. And, and, and that is, unfortunately, we are a capitalist society in America more than, and we have a capitalist government. So if you want to be represented accurately, you absolutely have to speak up for yourself for what you are. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. And and for being that voice, you're it's welcome. Important. It's important. Thank you. Yeah, especially in this place. But at least you know there's you know we keep church and state separate. As your story of uh, you have to be religious to hold <laughs> office. Yeah. Um, you know. All right. So uh, of course, yeah, we all know that you like to do five random questions. So if we came up with five random questions for you. Awesome. That's right. So I guess we'll probably go around the table for these, hey? Yeah. Sure. Hopefully we don't get sued by the Geeks Without God podcast for stealing their oh, thing. Yeah, they're, no, they're no. Really <laughs> if, if you want, you can reuse these questions on your own podcast, um, except oh, if you change your answer, uh, we retain the rights to your real answers here on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Fair All enough. right. Question number one. What's your favorite Ace Attorney game? Oh, oh, the, the very first one. Okay, that's a good one. Right, yeah. Ace Attorney. That's the best one. Yeah. All right. Hands down. I love them all, but that's that's the best one. Justice for All would have been a good runner up, but awesome. Justice for All is so good. Oh, come on. <laughs> Steve, do you know what they're talking about? I Googled this right before we started. So oh, quiet. We're geeking out over here. All right. Yeah. Sorry. You um, play them. Guys, you, you got to find a copy of these games. Oh, what was it? I played it on. I think you can play Game them on Boy Switch. Advance. Are they on Switch now? Okay, good. Yeah. Oh. It's. Anime trope in a courtroom. It is absolutely amazing. Oh, they're digital games. Yeah. Oh yeah. The video uh, games. Oh, I didn't. I didn't know that. You okay. are right, Ace Attorney, who uh, has never lost a case, and you're gonna, but you're on the outs, and you got to get yourself back, and you, you got to try these cases, and the people you talk to will act more ridiculous the closer you get to the truth, and you're basically just trying to get every single witness to confess to lying on the stand. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, totally <laughs> awesome. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Take your word for it. Okay, who wow. wants question two? All right, go ahead, Steve. All right, FFG has just announced a new hero pack, Molly Glover. Which <laughs> aspect do they pair with you? Oh boy. Okay, so I think I I think it would be protection. I think I would have the protection aspect because uh, I am very uh, I I am very about protecting people I care about, but also like protecting people's rights. I'm a, I'm a big champion for, huh, for uh, the rights of the disenfranchised. And also uh, I just think that that would, I think those cards fit me. Runner up would be aggression. <laughs> <laughs> Question three. Now, Molly, much to your dismay, you are forced to abandon your atheist ideology and pledge your allegiance to one of the great old ones in their Ooh. ongoing war for control over our reality. Which mm. elder god do you choose? Neil Arthotep. You know what? That's a good choice. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Good. That's pretty good. Because yeah, because because you know, of all the I mean it's it's that the 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 thousand faces thing, right? I mean like you yeah. can't you can't I mean you're getting your bang for your buck. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and it would be totally cool with your atheism to be honest. So. Yeah. 
And definitely I wouldn't get devoured. I'd be the one that he favored. That's right. That's right. Of course I'm going to be his favorite cultist. Don't you see? After he kills all of the people, he will leave us to inherit the world. <laughs> that Duh. makes so much sense. Oh, love it. All right. Question number four. You are hosting a dinner party with all your friends, but you have the opportunity to invite three special guests. They can be living, dead, or fictional. Who gets an invite? Okay. All right. Locke Lamora from the Gentleman Bastard series by Scott Lynch. <laughs> because that would be very entertaining. Oh. In that vein, I would invite Wit from the Stormlight Archives because that would also be very entertaining. <laughs> and for my third person... My third person, I think I'm going to invite Zoe from uh, uh, Zoe Punches the Future in the D. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Futuristic Violence in Fancy Suits. It's a series of books by David Wong. And I think that she would be, she would fit in with my friends for one because she's got a very like nerd punk goth thing going on. But also uh, she is a billionaire. So she can fund the fancy things I want to have at the party. And I know she would because she hates her money and she wants to give it all away. I don't know any of these, but that sounds so awesome. Hooray! Go look it up and have fun reading. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I don't know them either. Those are three uh, of my favorite series right now. I, uh, Gentleman Bastards is my favorite fantasy series, hands down. Uh, it is closely followed by the Kingkiller Chronicles, uh, Name of the Wind and, and, and those books. But uh, Gentleman Bastards is wonderful, wonderful books. Uh, uh, following a, a group of thieves in a fantasy world that is delightful. Stormlight Archives is Brandon Sanderson. Uh, I'm actually only on book two, but I love it. And uh, he also wrote Mistborn, which are very good. And then the David Wong books, there's three books that uh, are another trilogy he wrote that starts with John Dies at the end, which you might've heard of. Uh, they did a movie out of it. They're horror. They're all horror. So yeah. <laughs> I, I went weird, guys. I'm sorry. Nope, nope. That was good. That's good. Yeah. All right. So our fifth and final question. So Daniel breaks into your house. He sneaks into your basement. And there behind the shelves of ceremonial daggers and RPG books, he finds a secret door <laughs> that leads into a hidden chamber. When he opens the door, he guesses because right there he finds what? I, behind the door and my ceremonial daggers and my RPG books. But behind the secret door, he finds my uh, forbidden cosplays, the ones that I shall never do again because they got me in trouble. Wow. <laughs> and not like, don't, not horribly, not nothing racist, but just uh, I, did, I did the Cersei shame walk. Uh, costume at convergence that didn't that that got me in trouble. Uh, I have done a a, a uh, pizza stripper costume where I was a piece of pizza that had tassels. Um, you know, just all of the cosplays that have been put away. That that I was a reverse mermaid. I was a reverse mermaid for vilification tennis, uh, where I was a fish on top and and lady on the bottom. <laughs> Wow. Are, are, are these all hidden in there by your husband? He's like, you can't have these ever again. I think they're just hidden in there by the good taste police. They're just like, okay. please, ma'am, please stop, please stop, ma'am. We've we've just we've gotten some letters from the Mary Sue and some other concerned citizens. <laughs> wow. Well, that answer went better than I thought it was going to go. Thank you. Meeting <laughs> <laughs> in secret closets are weird. Oh. Oh wow. Just, that was great. All right. <laughs> Molly, 
It has been an absolute pleasure. This was delightful. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad that I didn't get to point. This this was fantastic night. Thank you so much, Molly. Yeah, thanks for coming on and just being great. All right, we will leave you with that image. <laughs> if you want to get in touch with us, we are. <laughs> Perhaps uh, you have some fun cosplay co- uh, costumes you want to let us in on. Uh, you can email us at criticalpod at gmail.com. We are Critical Encounters on Facebook. On Discord, we are known as Vardane, Big Foam Loaf, and Wandering Tuke. If you like our show, tell your friends. If you don't like our show, tell your enemies. Molly, take us out. All I am surrounded by is fear and dead men.